Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. On October 7, 2001, a U.S. Air Force MQ-1 Predator drone flying over Afghanistan fired a missile at a building CIA analysts suspected of housing Taliban leader Mullah Omar. The Predator missed and instead struck a vehicle, killing several of the Mullah's bodyguards. The botched Predator strike was not, contrary to popular opinion, the first time U.S. military and intelligence agencies had sent aerial robots into battle. As early as the Second World War, the military had tinkered with remote-controlled bombers. Drones also played an important, and today largely unheralded, role in the bloody two-decade U.S. air war over Vietnam and surrounding countries in the 1960s and 70s. Drone aircraft spotted targets from manned U.S. bombers, jammed North Vietnamese radars, and scattered propaganda leaflets, among other missions. The Vietnam drone war was waged by a misfit crew of contractors and airmen led by some of the era's most ingenious engineers and managers. And for much of the conflict, they answered to one person, Bob Schwanhauser, the secretive chief of a secret war with their own secrets to keep. This is Drone, an audio adaptation of Drone War Vietnam, a non-fiction book about the world's first robot war, by me, David Axe, a filmmaker and reporter for Forbes. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Galt, a reporter for Vice and host of the podcast Angry Planet. Part 3. After tinkering for years with reconnaissance drones as a risk-free alternative to manned spy planes, the U.S. Air Force in August 1964 finally ordered its very first drone unit, the 4080th Strategic Reconnaissance Wing, into action supporting the Vietnam War. The drone detachment, a mix of Ryan aeronautical contractors and Air Force airmen, set up shop at Kadena Air Base in Okinawa before redeploying to Bien Hoa Air Base in South Vietnam in late 1964. The unit moved again in mid-1970 to Utapau Air Base in southern Thailand. In 11 years of operations in Southeast Asia, 1,106 Model 147 Lightning Bug drones flew 3,435 sorties. Almost all of the Model 147s flew until they were shot down or crashed. A few dozen survived to return to the United States. Over the course of the war, the Model 147 evolved from a 27-foot-long vehicle with a 13-foot-span wing and a 1,700-pound thrust engine to a 30-foot-long vehicle with a 32-foot wing and an engine producing and an engine producing 2,800 pounds of thrust. There were different models for different purposes. Some had small wings and cameras for low-level reconnaissance. Others swapped in a bigger wing for missions at high altitude. Night reconnaissance models added a powerful jungle-illuminating strobe light. Special models hauled sensitive electronic receivers for capturing data on North Vietnamese air defense systems. A few were straight-up decoys that the Air Force flew straight into communist defenses in order to force them to reveal their locations. Still others carried pods stuffed full of propaganda leaflets and rained the leaflets on the North Vietnamese. The lightning bugs flew most of their missions from South Vietnam to North Vietnam. There was a special version for flights over North Korea, 
and another version that was compatible with the U.S. Navy's aircraft carriers. As the war was ending, Ryan Aeronautical added weapons to create the world's first jet-powered killer drones. These Model 234 Lightning Bugs were ready too late to take part in the fighting over Vietnam, but they did prove the concept of an armed drone. Thirty years later, the Air Force ran with the idea. Today's Predator-style killer drones are the result. The Model 147s could fly where no human pilot dared. Being expendable, the drones helped extend U.S. air power over even the most dangerous corners of North Vietnam. Few Americans appreciated this more than Edward Martin, a U.S. Navy fighter pilot. On July 9, 1967, Martin was in the cockpit of his A-4C attack plane speeding toward Hanoi. Some 15 miles from the city center, the S-75 batteries opened fire. A V-750 missile exploded just 250 feet in front of the compact single-engine fighter. Martin flew directly into the blast. That was the start of my five and a half years as an unwilling guest of the North Vietnamese, Martin said later. A week later, he was in his cell at Hoa Lo Prison in Hanoi. In his own words, a crumbling heap of humanity, tied up in ropes and lying near unconsciousness on the floor. An air raid siren wailed. Anti-aircraft gunners opened up. Prison guards and interrogators raced for cover. After 20 minutes, calm returned. The prison staff resumed their work. Martin's own guards were more than a little angry when they returned. That's when Martin heard the distinctive whine of a Model 147 recon drone. He knew the sound because he'd shot at Q2s, the basis for the Model 147, in training in 1959. During a mission over the Gulf of Tonkin prior to his shootdown and capture, he'd seen, although obviously not heard, lightning bugs going about their business. The North Vietnamese gunners opened fire again. Martin's interrogator later claimed, without proof, that the gunners had shot down the drone. Martin wasn't convinced. Over the following years, Martin had many encounters with the lightning bugs as they flew ahead of manned bombers in order to spot targets or followed behind the bombers to assess the effectiveness of a raid. One thing that impressed me the most about the pilotless Riki aircraft was the relative degree of impunity with which they intruded upon North Vietnamese airspace, Martin recalled. When a strike force of bombers and attack planes came in, there was always an alert, but when a single 147 Fire Bee came in fast and low, they wouldn't draw an alert. More than once, Martin and his fellow prisoners were outside bathing and washing their clothes when a lightning bug appeared overhead. The guards excitedly would usher the prisoners inside, then open fire with their small arms, never hitting the speedy little drones. In the spring of 1968, after the North Vietnamese had moved Martin to a different prison, one known as the Zoo, a Model 147 approached the prison complex at high speed. Radar-aimed anti-aircraft guns opened fire and scored multiple hits on the drone, but failed to destroy it. Martin said his guard was absolutely horrified. The guard tried to shoo Martin inside, but he and his fellow prisoners refused to go. I remember we were all elated, so much so that they dragged me out for special treatment, as I was the senior officer at the zoo. They reprimanded me for my bad attitude because I had smiled when one of the spy planes, as they called them, intruded upon the Vietnam people, Martin said. By then, the lightning bug was a grizzled veteran of the Vietnam Air War. In July 1970, the Air Force redeployed the drone detachment to Utapeo Air Base in Thailand. Utapeo would also soon host a massive contingent of B-52 bombers, whose apocalyptic missions in late 1972 signaled the end of America's long, bloody involvement in Vietnam. Model 147s surveyed the damage from the bombers' fiery raids. In January 1973, the administration of President Richard Nixon cajoled the South Vietnamese government into joining the United States and North Vietnam in signing the Paris Peace Accords. The ceasefire ended America's nine-year war in Vietnam. 
As many as 3.6 million people died, including more than 58,000 Americans. In nearly a decade of air operations, U.S. forces lost 3,744 airplanes, 5,607 helicopters, and 578 drones. North Vietnam claimed its S-75 battery shot down more than 1,000 enemy aircraft. The United States confirmed just 200 of those shootdowns. The fighting didn't actually end in 1973, of course. Following months of steady advances against South Vietnamese forces, in late April 1975, the North Vietnamese Army launched its final assault on Saigon. Tens of thousands of Americans and Vietnamese working with and for the South Vietnamese government fled in boats and helicopters. On the morning of April 30, 1975, a North Vietnamese tank crashed through the gate of Saigon's Independence Palace, the seat of President Duong Van Minh's crumbling government. Min and his advisors sat and waited for communist troops to accept their surrender. The war was over. Lightning bugs continued to launch from Utapeo in Thailand and Osan in South Korea for a few weeks, but an era of intervention was ending. Americans were coming home. The last drone mission from Utapeo took place on April 30, 1975. The last flight out of Osan was on June 3, 1975. A few dozen Model 147 survived. The Air Force shipped the war-weary drones home and stored them at bases across the United States, in particular at Warner Robins Air Force Base in Georgia and Hill Air Force Base in Utah. Aiming to shift drone operations to Europe, Tactical Air Command briefly tinkered with an improved version of the armed lightning bug, but the command cooled to the idea following several studies and experiments. One 1973 study estimated that during wartime, NATO would need 18 drone flights per day to meet reconnaissance and defense suppression requirements. That in turn would require eight DC-130 motherships and 25 recovery helicopters. Maintaining a single wing to undertake these flights would cost $35 million annually, the study found. By comparison, a wing of F-4 fighter bombers costs just $25 million, and daily could generate hundreds of sorties. Tactical Air Command also worried that Soviet fighters would gobble up lightning bugs at a rate that North Vietnam's meager air force never could achieve. It would be nearly two decades before the low-intensity wars in the Balkans, and later Iraq and Afghanistan, helped to create the conditions for a drone resurgence. Two decades of hard work selling, developing, and deploying drones had a profound and tragic impact on one of the central figures in the lightning bug story. Ryan Aeronautical Drone Manager Bob Schwanhauser's high stress levels may have contributed to his heavy drinking and drug use. He suffered a heart attack in 1968 and, nine years later, nearly died of an overdose of alcohol and lithium. Schwanhauser married and divorced three times. Yet even that tragedy had a happy ending. In 2003, at the age of 72, Schwanhauser traveled to Thailand for gender reassignment surgery. She returned home to Michigan as Bobby Swan and launched a second career as an advocate for trans Americans. She died 15 years later. When a newspaper reporter asked Swan why she hadn't changed sex earlier, she was blunt. Priorities, she said. My priorities were airplanes and getting established in the airplane business. Obviously, that was a man's business. Drone comes to you from Defiant Productions in Columbia, South Carolina. Follow David Axe on Twitter at DAXE. Matthew Galt is on Twitter at MJGalt. Drone War Vietnam from Pen and Sword Books is available wherever you buy books.